Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, Make their eyes, ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The second reading comes from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, and you'll find this on page 794. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, Thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand or hear. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Well, thank you, Anne. Brothers and sisters, friends and guests, uh, good morning. Uh, great to have you here. Please keep Matthew 13 uh, open in front of you. Uh, you know, uh, well, you have to know that sermons today are not what they used to be in the good old days. Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, was a British Baptist preacher uh, who ministered in London in the 1800s. Uh, when he was 19 and only four years after he was converted, he became uh, the pastor of London's largest Baptist church. And it's estimated that in Spurgeon's lifetime, he preached to around 10 million people in the 1800s. Uh, let me read you just a couple of lines of one of his sermons, and I dare say, nowhere near his harshest. You, dear friends, are deriving from every gospel sermon that you hear either life unto life or else death unto death. An unbelieving hearing of the gospel is a multiplication of curses to your soul. Wow, I mean, <laughs> talk about harsh, right? You can breathe again. Uh, we don't speak like that today, do we? And he can't be right today, can he? You know, today uh, we come to a part of the Bible that will be very well known to those of you who have sat under the Bible's teaching for some time. Uh, it's one of Jesus' most famous parables. But, you know, we need to be really careful when we come to parts of God's Word that seem so well known to us because when we read those parts of God's Word, uh, it's very easy to miss or to rush over very significant teaching. And in such uh, a well-known parable as this one, there are a couple of things that we miss if we rush and actually they seem a bit more suited to the 1800s than today. But we'll get to that in a moment. We're going to stick with the familiar to start with. We're going to look at three things. We're going to consider the four hearts. We're then going to learn of the God who elects his people. And we're then going to consider what it means to have ears to hear. Okay, the four hearts, the God who elects his people having ears to hear. Uh, you'll remember that we're spending 12 weeks in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you were here last week, you will have heard uh, James's deeply, deeply challenging sermon from Matthew 11, where Jesus finishes with these words on the screen. Stunning words, aren't they? Come to me, says Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
See, last week, James brought to us Jesus' call uh, for people to come and trust in him, to, to find rest in him. Uh, a number of you came and told me during the week how helpful and how challenged you were from that sermon. Well, today, we now learn uh, how different people in this world and actually in this church will respond to that call of Jesus. You see, Jesus says to us all, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Today we're going to see that actually not everyone responds in the same way. Matthew 13 contains seven parables. What's a parable? Uh, Technically, a parable is a fictitious saying that pictures truth. Or my preferred definition that one person said, a parable is an imaginary garden with real toads in it. Maybe that works for you. And in Matthew 13, we have seven parables all about the kingdom of God. We're only going to look at the first, the most well-known one, the parable of the sower. A number of us here are familiar with this. It's the story where Jesus speaks about a farmer, a farmer who goes out and sows seed into four different soils, and each seed acts differently. And in a farming community such as first century Palestine, this context would have made a whole lot of sense to Jesus' listeners. So as the story goes on in verses 3 to 9, you can see that in front of you, the first seed didn't get very far. The second seed lasted no more than just a few days. The third seed seemed to go well until weeds grew up around it and choked it. And the fourth seed did grow and multiply. Then in verse 18, see that, Jesus describes the meaning of the parable. The seed in the parable represents God's word. The seed is the message uh, that God is bringing new life through the forgiveness of sins and he's, being peace, he's bringing peace with himself through his son, Jesus. And what we read is that there's four types of people, or to put it another way, all people will have one of four types of hearts that each respond differently to the brilliant news about Jesus Christ. The first type of heart we see in verse 19. This is the heart, this is the person who is a, a careless listener, shall we say. They hear with their ears but they do not comprehend with their heart. They might even like the story about Jesus, but they don't actually comprehend any of the spiritual truth that it conveys. Now, notice why uh, the seed doesn't take root. That's in verse 19. Because the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Remember this. Next time you're at a family lunch and you are frustrated by one of your family members' scorn for your love for Jesus... Pray for them. There is serious demonic adversary of Jesus standing behind their rejection of you and what you believe in. Second type of heart uh, is the heart that's superficial. This is verse 20. See that? It's the person that quickly engages with Jesus as they hear about him. But it is happy, shallow enthusiasm. You see, this person actually engages quickly with any new teaching any new fad, any new thing that comes along. These are the sort of people who jump to the next flavour of the month on a constant search to find peace, meaning and hope. You know, we meet these people here at Norwest. Uh, These are people who come along here uh, and when they first hear about Jesus, they are positively intrigued. They hear the good news of Jesus and, and it's remarkable because it makes you feel loved and it makes sense of my life for a time. The thing is, the more you read the Bible, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you learn that it's actually 
He's actually not all about you. You find that Christianity is actually all about Jesus. And for certain people, that ends up being unsatisfactory. You see, things not being about us might be okay for a time, but then that independence and that desire for autonomy rears up again. This is the heart of the second person who engages with God's word. There is no root. There is no root of exploring seriously who Jesus is. There's no root of allowing God's word to shine its penetrating light into those secret parts of our lives and, and thus bring peace and, uh, and lasting hope. And look, Anthony Robbins is touring again. And verse 21 tells us what happens, that since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Well, the third type of heart is the most frightening, I think, certainly for me. Verse 22, we read, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, this shows us that this person does respond to God's word. This person turns to Jesus, belongs to a church. This person longs to know more about Jesus, to become like him, to be challenged and changed like the vast majority of us here this morning. This heart loves other things more. Jesus gives two examples, worry and wealth, which speaks of those twin desires that lie in your heart and mine, that desire for control on the one hand and security on the other. But this person knows that Jesus offers control and security, stability and safety. They just lack the ability and faith to give it all over to Jesus. So, they hedge their bets, sit on the fence, come to church, but trust their investment portfolio, the rising property market, their extensive and expensive education or their regular physical exercise that ensures that they're really okay in this world. And the reason this one frightens me, and it should frighten you, the reason it's so dangerous, is because churches are not full of the first type of heart. They, by and large, don't darken the door. Churches are not full of the second type of heart. They, they don't come for long enough. But churches can be full. This church probably is full of this third heart, the heart that is slowly being choked by the lies of the world. Don't you feel that lure of the false promises that are around you day by day? I do. You see what happens? Jesus says that the word is choked within them and they do not produce fruit. This one's frightening. But then in Jesus' parable, we see the fourth type of heart. Have a look at verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 130, uh, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Friends, in the parable, this is the heart that we're meant to desire. Three words describe it, all in verse 23. The heart hears the word, understands the word, produces a crop. In this person, there is a recognition that God's word is perfect, divine, life-giving, wisdom-filled, vision-clarifying. So in this fourth person, in this heart, the Word of God is loved and depended upon and adored and absorbed and lived. Well, we could finish the sermon there. That would suit me right now. 
have a bit more time for questions. <laughs> but that would be to skate over and miss a verse that really, really changes everything we've seen so far. <laughs> because if we, were, if we were to finish right here, we could walk away right now thinking that we choose God. The word is preached, like here and now. The seed is sown, to use the expression in the, in the parable. And we make a choice, don't we? Accept, reject, listen, ignore, whatever you want. Except for one really tricky verse in here. Just look at verse 10. So the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to people in parables? I mean, just a really sensible, logical question. And what we expect Jesus to say is this. I speak in parables because I use farming metaphors for people in farming communities. And it makes it all easier to understand. I speak in parables because the deep truths that I'm speaking about are actually abstract, uh, difficult and complex. But I want to make them simple and concrete. And this will help open people's eyes, soften people's hearts, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins that only I can offer. See, if I was Jesus, that's what I'd say. And it's not what he says. Look at verse 11. Jesus replies, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. What Jesus says is this, I speak in parables so that some of you will hear and understand, but I also speak in parables so that others will hear and not understand. What? Now that's strange, okay? Can I just say that if you're here today and you're new amongst us and you're not a Christian, brilliant to have you with us. We love having people who are wrestling with this stuff come in. Uh, you're probably sitting there right now thinking, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem like the Christianity that I've sort of heard about at arm's length that's out there. Uh, if you're new and you're not a Christian, here's what you need to know. Almost everyone in the room is feeling what you are right now. Even if you've been here years, you're still sort of sitting here thinking, this doesn't seem right. This will be interesting. I wonder where Pete's going to go. Here's the fact. The fact is, we have to understand parables, not as stories that reveal, but rather as stories that reveal to some and conceal to others. As one lecturer at college put it, parables are instruments that Jesus uses of grace or judgment and they are either based on whether you seek understanding or not. Now, brothers and sisters, it's at this point that this ties right into the whole difficult doctrine of the election of God. Now, what are we talking about here? It's the understanding that people do not choose to follow God in the first instance, but rather God chooses people to follow him. Okay. Feel the shackles rising? The blood pressure increasing? See, this is much more suited to London 1880 than Sydney 2017, doesn't it? I mean, talk about harsh. Talk about offensive. That's what we spoke about at the start. But the Bible teaches and the doctrine of election holds that all people in this world are so indifferent to God 
so enamoured by and enmeshed in sin. What sin? It's that ingrained desire for me to live as if I was God. That not only do I not want to follow God, but I couldn't follow him if I tried. I'm incapable of doing it. And the only way that people who are dead in transgressions and sin, as the Apostle Paul so evocatively puts it, the only way for people who are dead to find life is not if they choose it, but rather if it's given to them. You see, no dead person ever chose life. It is God who needs to call someone from death to life. Now, brothers and sisters, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant that God reaches out to people so deeply and totally incapacitated, people who need rescuing and who cannot do it themselves, and brings life and forgiveness and a relationship with him? You see, if you're sitting here today and Jesus is your Lord uh, and your Saviour, that's your story. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. See, this is where it gets tricky because, how do I put this? At great risk of biting the hand that feeds us, and at great risk of recognising that it is not wise to despise the instrument of your salvation, if we're honest, we don't feel it so brilliant. In fact, what most of us are probably feeling right now is something more like this. That's not fair. That's not fair! How can that be fair? How can God choose one person to follow him and condemn another by not choosing them? You know, it's at this point that it's really helpful to have a bigger picture of what the Bible teaches about this. You see, what you find when you read the Bible uh, are two completely true and yet seemingly opposed realities. Here's the first. God elects those who will know him forever. God chooses those who will be his children. We see it mentioned here in G- by Jesus in Matthew 13. Uh, the apostle Peter addresses the church. He writes to him this way in 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered through Pontus and Galatia. The apostle Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 1 when he says this, in Jesus Christ we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So really, can I say, with all due respect, regardless of how we might feel about this, the Bible is clear that God elects, chooses, predestines his people to know his son and to follow him. And he's done that from before time. And yet, across the pages of the Bible, there is another completely true and yet seemingly opposed reality that we find and it is this that every person who seeks Jesus finds him you know in Matthew 7 in the Sermon of the Mount Sermon on the Mount Jesus says this to the crowds who are listening to him ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Beautiful words. You see, Jesus tells this crowd on the mountain of seekers and searchers and skeptics that if you want to find God, he is not far from you. 
If you truly, really, deeply seek God, if you reach out and call to Him, He will not hide His face from you. And that is true, brothers and sisters, for those times when you share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. You see, the gospel of election is not this discouragement to not share the gospel because God's mind is already made up like some unreasonable and uncaring judge. No, the doctrine of election promises us that God is in control of whatever happens because he's God and yet he honours people enough that they can make real decisions and real choices in real time and real space. Then... We share the gospel of the Lord Jesus without fear or favour, knowing on the one hand that my poor choice of words, which I always have, can't stuff it up. And yet also knowing that if the person before us truly seeks life in God, truly longs to find out what is truth, that Jesus will call them to himself. Now I've heard it described like this. Uh, Imagine someone having lived a full life of serving Jesus both in seasons of joy and pain. They die and they find themselves walking towards the gates of heaven. The gates of heaven don't exist. Okay, This is a garden, imaginary garden with some real toads in it. All right? uh, these gates are carved from a single pearl. No, no. They find themselves walking towards the pearly gates and inscribed as just before they walk into heaven are these words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And the person walks in and says, that's exactly how I feel. And they're walking into heaven and they stop and they just turn back and look at the gates that they've just walked through. And inscribed on the other sides of those same gates are these words. Chosen before the dawn of time in Christ Jesus. And the person knows that that is also absolutely their experience. You see, the Bible holds these two real yet seemingly contradictory ideas in tension with each other. And the challenge for those who trust God's word and who love Jesus is to do the same. Well, what does this parable teach us about all of this? You know, in essence, what Jesus teaches in this parable is that people's response to his teaching and therefore to himself... Sorry, let me say that again. It is people's response to his teaching or to, him, uh, or to himself, which is one and the same thing essentially, that indicates what sort of soil they are and what sort of heart they have. So that's absolutely the case for those listening to the parable in Matthew 13. But it is also the case for all of us sitting here right now. You see, Jesus' teaching diagnosed hearts 2,000 years ago and it continues to do so. So right now, right now in the room, There are some people sitting here who think that this this teaching of Jesus is nice and irrelevant or perhaps mad and offensive and only the weakest of people would fall for it. The parable speaks about that person, that seed landing on the path. There'll be others here now who hear this and it actually warms their hearts. It makes them feel valued and important. But only until the next teaching comes along that warms your heart and makes you feel valued. That's seed landing in shallow soil. Of course, there are many who sit here right now and and they hear this and they're thinking, you know what, I am the third seed. (laughs) I I feel the stresses of the world. I have worries. uh, And and I know that money and wealth mean more to me than it should. Here's the irony. You think you're the third seed. You're probably not. You see, if those things concern you, 
if you can see the weeds around you starting to grow, then in all likelihood, you're not the third seed, you're the fourth. In all likelihood, you're actually the good soil, the one that works and wrestles and longs to keep Jesus at the centre and keep listening to him. You see, if you sit here today and you think comfortably that you're the fourth seed, you know, I come to church, I'm in a Bible study, you know, I preach sermons. It seems to me that they are the ones most at risk of weeds and worries growing up to choke and strangle. Let me leave you with an encouragement. Verse 10, we saw that, very significant. Jesus tells a parable. His disciples come to him in verse 10 and say, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus says to them in response to their question, look, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. You know, it seems to me as you read Matthew that one of the keys to understand the kingdom of God, one of the keys to, to belong to the kingdom of God is to bring your questions to the king of the kingdom. Don't understand? Ask Jesus. Disagree? Wrestle with Jesus. Not sure what to believe? Listen to Jesus. And what you may well find is exactly what verse 16 says. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Well, I want to finish today's sermon by coming back to Spurgeon's sermon. Let me now read his quote in full. Listen again. Sorry, that's Spurgeon, not me. Listen again. There is another immediate effect of the word of the Lord which follows as quickly as blossom upon the almond tree. Upon some hearers, it produces an instant hardening. You remember how Paul wrote, We are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savour of death unto death and to the other, the savour of life unto life. You, dear friends, are deriving from every gospel sermon that you hear, either life unto life or death unto death. If you get no good from it, you will assuredly get harm. An unbelieving hearing of the gospel is a multiplication of curses to your soul. Another sermon for which you have to give account. Another rejected exhortation recorded against you. Another earnest invitation which you have refused and for which you'll be held responsible. You are heaping up to yourself wrath against the day of wrath. Even while you hear the word of the Lord. I am not talking about what will happen to you when you die or when you rise for final judgment. I'm speaking about what is happening now. The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Take heed that you do not soon see the almond tree blossom in this terrible sense. That was a warning that Spurgeon gave his church in London and it is what we hear from Matthew 13 actually. You see, if you sit here today and you are unmoved, perhaps annoyed, maybe even angered by such a judgmental quote and judgmental sermon, then to you I would say with Spurgeon, take heed. And Spurgeon would say to you that the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. And Jesus would say that 
You will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. But if you sit here today and you are moved as you hear that, you are brought low, and you think to yourself, the gospel is the only place I have to turn. I long to be that good soil that the seed sinks deeply into. Then Spurgeon would say to you that you have a heart of wax, a heart that melts in the presence of the sun, which is the word of God. And Jesus would say, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And here's what every single one of us needs to remember. Jesus Christ is not far from us. He is not hidden. And he longs that we reach out and take hold of him.